welcome to the press conference for the Johnson County Emergency Operations Center for Tuesday, April 7th. I'm Kelly Andreessen, Public Information Officer for Johnson County. Uh, we are doing things a little differently today uh, to exercise responsible social distancing, and so we are live streaming this via City Channel 4's YouTube live face, live feed and Facebook live feed. Uh, so thank you to our reporters who are tuning in. Uh, we will be responding to questions virtually today. Uh, thank you to our community partners for participating, and again, for, our, for all of those who are tuning in virtually. Um, as I mentioned, we are streaming this live on Iowa City City Channel 4 YouTube and on the Johnson County Public Health Facebook page. Uh, we are practicing social distancing, so we have limited the number of people in the room. And so for those purposes, we do have two speakers who are participating via Zoom, and we have two who are participating live. And for those live presenters, I'll bring them e in each individually. Um, each speaker will, or will, will give their prepared speech and then we'll open it up for questions for that individual. Uh, and so for those reporters who are participating virtually, if you do have questions that you missed uh, during that time, just follow up with our staff and we will get you connected. Um, as I mentioned, this is a little bit different. We're doing things differently for the first time. Uh, so please have patience with us and we appreciate your flexibility. We are constantly trying to navigate new ways to share information with both the media and the public. And so we appreciate that everybody understands uh, that we're working on things all the time. So we will go ahead and get started. Our first speaker is Dr. Teresa Brennan, Chief Medical Officer with University of Iowa Hospitals and Clinics. Dr. Brennan, Good I'll hand it over to you. Um, a couple of remarks to start, and then I'm happy to take questions. Um, first, I want to give an update on inpatients. We presently have 17 inpatients in the hospital. Um, we've, we've treated a total of 27 um, patients overall in the hospital at the University of Iowa Hospitals and Clinics. In addition to caring for patients with COVID-19, the University of Iowa also plays a vital role in studying the new coronavirus and researching potential new treatments for COVID-19. As I've previously mentioned, we are a part of a global trial to study the drug remdesivir. We are also planning to conduct a clinical trial with convalescent plasma, meaning plasma taken from donors who have successfully recovered from the virus to be given to patients who are actively fighting it. And finally, today, um, our researchers published results from an early stage trial in animals that might lay the groundwork for a vaccine for COVID-19 that ultimately could be used in people. I'm happy to take questions. And just a reminder to our reporters, we will take the questions as we receive them. Uh, so if you sent in a question and it hasn't been asked yet, we're getting to it. So the first set of questions for you, Dr. Brennan, uh, come from the Iowa City Press Citizen. And the first question is, uh, there are reports of medical professionals wearing N95 masks for longer than usual. What is the maximum amount of time a medical provider should wear an N95 mask? And at what point does the mask become less effective? That's a good question. Um, so uh, with the N95s being in such a shortage um, across the country, uh, providers are wearing N95s for longer than normal. Um, in general, we would use them for a single um, episode of care with a patient. Um, we are now using them for longer than that. 
Um, they are not very comfortable. Uh, it's hard to breathe in them. Um, they fit very tight to one's face, and so they're not very comfortable to wear. Um, I'm not aware of any data that they degrade over time. They certainly um, could if they become wet um, or soiled, they should certainly be changed at that point. In working with um, the, our central sterilizing uh, services with our emergency management, um, with employee health at the University of Iowa Hospitals and Clinics, as well as the College of Public Health and our program of epi hospital epidemiology and the Iowa State Hygienic Lab, we have successfully created a reprocessing. So um, our uh, staff can wear the N95s and they can be reprocessed up to four times. Um, these masks ha have gone through this and have been tested and uh, maintained their integrity to that fourth reprocessing. At that point, after the fourth reprocessing, um, we would discard them. But, but um, to specifically go back to the question, um, there, I don't know of any time per single episode, but, but again, that's most likely probably related to, um, mo most likely limited by the, the fit of the mask and um, the comfort. Thank you. And then a follow-up question about the masks. How effective are homemade masks at stopping the spread of COVID-19? Yeah, that's a really good question. And as the CDC um, now has recommended that um, people consider when they're in a public place wearing homemade masks, um, uh, this is something that we certainly are looking at and looking into. Um, masks that are made in a homemade way are really variable. And so it's really difficult to know how effective they are. Uh, we believe that they're probably more effective than nothing, but certainly less effective than a surgical mask. But remember the reason one should wear a mask um, is for source control, meaning I should wear a mask if I uh, were to have COVID then to not um, transmit it to others. It's less effective in wearing a mask so others can't transmit it to you. It's really important to recognize that if you're not used to wearing masks, um, wearing a mask, a, a cloth mask may actually increase your risk of touching your face um, and really important that they be laundered appropriately. Okay, the next question is from Kate Payne with Iowa Public Radio. Are we at the point that Johnson County hospitals are having to marshal other non-specialists to care for COVID patients, e.g. orthopedic surgeons caring for COVID patients, et cetera? I can only speak for our hospital and I can say that um, no, at this point in time, um, the patients who are COVID positive are being treated by the same specialists that, that the non-COVID positive patients will be treated by. Um, the routine uh, hospitalists are ICU docs, et cetera. We haven't enlisted any of our other specialists at this point in time. Uh, one more question from Kate. The IHME model from the University of Washington projects that Iowa will need 127 ventilators to care for COVID patients. Do Johnson County hospitals have enough ventilators for the projected need? And are there efforts to convert anesthesiology machines into makeshift ventilators? I can tell you that looking at that data and our surge plan, we feel like we have enough ventilators um, at the University of Iowa with those that we have ordered, um, with um, those that we've received from the state, um, and with conversion of uh, anesthesia machines to be able to, to take care of those patients. Um, the addition of other hospitals in the region um, would increase that number.
All right, we have another question from Vanessa Miller with the Gazette. Vanessa was wondering if the Johnson County death occurred at UIHC. Uh, can you say how many of the current 17 patients are on ventilators and what are their conditions and are some in critical condition? Um, in order to, to protect the privacy of our patients, um, I, I'm going to, to not um, respond to that question. Appreciate the question, um, but we, we certainly need to keep our patients' privacy our, our top priority. Uh, another question relating to ventil ventilators. Uh, there's, there may be a big need for ventilators if the cases keep growing. And I'm sorry, this is from Travis Brees from KWWL. Is UIHC cross-training nurses to use anesthesia machines for ventilators? If so, how effective has this been? If not, is there a time when the hospital may look to do this? Certainly, um, respiratory therapists are certainly um, relied on greatly when patients are intubated um, and, and require a ventilator. Um, we have a surge plan which looks at how many we will require, how we will supplement them, um, with uh, anesthesia techs as well as, as potentially others. Um, we have, have begun training our nurses for various duties that may be outside of their normal daily activities. Um, but at this point in time, I don't have any data about how that's going. We, are, we do have a little bit of lag in the video feed, so we're gonna accommodate a little bit for that lag. So I apologize for the silence, but we're gonna see if we have any more questions come in for you, Dr. Brennan. Okay, okay. Thanks. thanks. All right, it looks like those are all the questions that we have for you today. Thank you, Dr. Brennan. We appreciate your participation. And now we'll pass it over to Margaret Reese with uh, Mercy Iowa City. Thanks, Dr. Brennan. Thank you, Thank so, you so much. much. So Margaret, we're ready for you. All right, All right thank, thank you. you. Good afternoon, everybody. I'm going to start as I typically do by saying that prevention is critical and it is something that everyone can contribute to. A virus such as COVID-19 needs people to spread to, it needs a host. So if everyone is staying at home, practicing social and physical distancing, the virus is slowed the curve is lowered and everyone who is following these precautions is contributing to the health and well-being of others. So we appreciate you uh, following those precautions. As of 8 a.m. today, we had two positive uh, patients who had tested positive who are inpatients and one awaiting their test results. Uh, as an inpatient in the hospital, we have cared for more than 30 uh, so far at Mercy. Our telehealth visits uh, now total more than 2,000 uh, since March 30th when we uh, introduced telehealth visits. So um, a huge increase in that way of taking care of our patients. Uh, our partners, Steinler Orthopedics and Progressive Rehabilitation Associates are also now providing telehealth visits uh, to their patients. 
expand hours, which is a wonderful addition. Um, we have made many physical changes to our facility uh, to be able to care for patients who need it. We have converted our Three West Medical Unit, which is 28 private rooms, to be entirely negative airflow uh, and a, a place where we can have our patients stay. Uh, our intensive care uh, unit uh, and capacity is now 16 uh, rooms. We have converted two of our operating suites, our OR suites to negative airflow as of yesterday. And we continue to have ability to expand into another area if that is needed. Um, we follow up with all of our discharged patients through health coaches or mercy on call. And those would be patients that are discharged for any reason at all. And our hospitalists, follow up with those who are discharged following a COVID-19 diagnosis. Uh, they're followed for seven days. They're called every day by the hospitalists um, after they're discharged. Um, the cloth masks, as Dr. Brennan was talking about, uh, these are very helpful and can help people who are asymptomatic uh, from spreading something that they don't know that they have to others. Um, we appreciate the many donations that we have received and we can use more, so we will appreciate even more of those donations. We have had, had trouble um, being able to get all of the isolation gowns that we need for our clinical staff, so we have uh, some creative uh, staff members who uh, decided to try making cloth gowns out of sterile wrap, which is something that we can run through a central sterilizing system here at Mercy. So they completed three to four dozen of those over the weekend, and we have 160 additional ones underway. Uh, sterile wrap is something uh, that is used in the OR, uh, and it's a fabric that, as I said, can withstand central sterilizing uh, and will make reusable isolation gowns for us if we are unable to continue to receive the quantity that we need at the times uh, that we need them. Uh, and I'll close by saying that we encourage people to remain calm, stay home, stay away from others, wear a cloth mask, wash hands and clean surfaces often, follow all of the precautions because by doing so, you are making a positive difference in slowing this virus. While we are prepared to care for you, we'd prefer that everyone stay healthy and do what they can to keep others healthy. So thank you and are there any questions? Thanks, Margaret. Um, I will repeat a few of the questions that were asked generally of healthcare that we asked Dr. Brennan to you. Uh, so I apologize for the repetition, but I think they're they're aimed at Mercy as well. Um, so are we at the point that Johnson County Hospitals, or Mercy rather, are having to marshal other non-specialists to care for COVID patients, e.g. orthopedic surgeons caring for COVID patients, et cetera? No, we no, are we not, not at that, that point. point. Uh, we uh, have our uh, intensivists and hospitalists uh, caring uh, for our inpatients. Um, one thing that we have done is to uh, reach out to our medical staff, well, to re research our medical staff and see who else has been privileged uh, to uh, assist with um, ventilators and so forth. And it's, it's remarkable how many of them have that in their background. So we, if they are willing, uh, and many of them have been uh, to get some refresher training. Uh, we have reached out to them, but we have not needed uh, them at this time. And also, uh, again, this is from Kate Payne with Iowa Public Radio. The IHME model from the University of Washington projects that Iowa will need 127 ventilators to care for COVID patients. 
does Mercy have enough ventilators for the projected need? And are there efforts to convert anesthesiology machines into makeshift ventilators? We feel that we have an adequate number now and uh, for the foreseeable future, if we do not see a huge surge, which we are certainly hoping not to see, uh, and that is why I continue to um, ask, uh, uh, beg, encourage people to follow all of the precautions so that we don't see that kind of a surge uh, in our area or in Iowa, that would be wonderful. Um, so we feel that we are prepared now. We have received some additional ventilator units uh, through Johnson County Emergency Management and the state. Um, and um, we have had conversations and we are prepared to convert uh, other machinery, anesthesia machines if we need to, but we don't feel that we are at that point yet by a long shot. Okay, now we have a question from Travis Brees with KWWL. Can you provide an update on drive-through testing numbers in Coralville? How many have been tested at the facility as of this morning? And can you say around what percent of Mercy's testing is being done at that site? Um, I would say, uh, I, I don't have the exact number left. Yesterday was a, a, a busy day for us. We had 25 uh, that we tested uh, at the Coralville location, the drive up and the ARC or the acute respiratory clinic um, are, let's see, we're testing more and more every day. Uh, we are testing both in the hospital and then through those clinic sites. And I do not have uh, a total uh, from both of those, but we are uh, definitely in the hundreds of individuals that we have tested so far. Uh, we have a question from Sarah Watson with The Daily Iowan. How many patients is Mercy expecting to treat in the case of a surge? I don't have an answer to that question. I'm sorry. I don't know that we have even anticipated what that number could be. And again, like I, like I told Dr. Brennan, we do have a little bit of lag in the video feed. So we're going to have a brief pause right now. We're not seeing any additional questions, but we're going to give people an opportunity to, to catch up with the lag. So we'll have a moment That's of silence. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. you. All right, it looks like we don't have any additional questions, Margaret. Thank you again for participating virtually and we will see you virtually again soon. Thank you very much, bye-bye. Right now we have Dave Coach, Director of Johnson County Public Health. Thank you again, Kelly, and thank you everyone and good afternoon. As of today, there have been a total of 134 positive cases in Johnson County and 55 have recovered from COVID-19. 
The CDC continues to study the coronavirus, and from recent studies, we now know some individuals who lack symptoms or are asymptomatic, and even those who eventually develop symptoms or pre-symptomatic, can transmit the virus to others before showing symptoms. This means the virus can spread between people interacting from a close distance. For example, speaking, coughing, or sneezing, even if those people are not showing symptoms. In light of this new evidence, CDC recommends wearing cloth face coverings in public where other social distancing measures can be difficult to maintain, like in grocery stores and pharmacies. However, physical distancing yourself six feet away from others when you must be in public and hand washing are still the most important things you can do to slow the spread of the virus. Cloth face coverings made from household items or materials like scarves and bandanas can be used as an additional voluntary public health measure. Leave the surgical masks and the N95 respirators for healthcare workers and other medical first responders. Please understand that wearing a mask covering does not mean that you are protected from this virus. It means you may be protecting others if you have it and do not know it. Social and physical distancing can feel isolating and stressful, but we all need to do our part. Staying home and not having visitors is the safest for everyone. This is difficult to explain to your children, especially when they know other children are getting together. Educate others by reaching out to friends, family, and neighbors to explain social distancing. Tell them you are helping slow the spread by not allowing your kids to play with kids who don't live in your home and not gathering with any other adults. These difficult conversations could help us get through this more quickly. Thank you to all Johnson County residents who are doing your best to protect our most vulnerable friends, family, neighbors from this virus. Thank you, and I'll take any questions at this time. Okay, uh, we have a remote question here from Zach Smith with the Iowa City Press Citizen. After the Press Citizen gave the public access to the 12-point mitigation measure guidance document, the governor let the public see the COVID-19 assessment regional map that the matrix on the 12-point mitigation document factor into. At yesterday's press conference, our area had the highest score. Thus far, Iowa Department of Public Health and the governor have not given public access to the table used to populate that map. Have you seen the region's table? And if so, what made that score so high? Um, if, if, the, if the question is, is responding to the table, the, the four metrics with the values, that information um, has been made public on the, on the uh, IDPH's website uh, for several days. Um, the map also was on the website of the, of the different regions. Regarding how that score was determined for our region, we have not received any information or um, sharing of how that was determined. So that is several counties in the same region, not just Johnson County. So we do not know for sure how, how those numbers were determined. Again, there's the four metrics that Iowa Department of Public Health is using to determine those measures. We just don't know exactly the methodology of that across all the various counties in this region. So you don't have access to that table that they're utilizing right now? If, if, the, if the table is referencing um, the way in which the values were determined, no, we don't have access to that. 
Okay, the, the second question from Zach here, is the Johnson County Public Health Department advising patients to speak out about the positive diagnoses? Absolutely not. We, we do not tell individuals uh, that are testing positive uh, not to share that. If they're sharing that, that's, that's uh, their prerogative. Okay. Uh, the CDC, again, this is another question from Zach. The CDC um, public health recommendations are about lowering the chances of transmission. Is there some more recent studies that suggest six feet may not be far enough to prevent transmission? And if so, should this information uh, change how we go about from day to day? So that's, that's a great question. Um, as this virus, as we've said, continues to evolve and, and the researchers and scientists continue to study and, and learn more about this, that guidance may change. At this point, I just can't uh, answer that directly. I, I'm not sure um, if, if uh, that guidance will change. At this point, we're still telling people six feet. Right. Uh, and then what about how effective the homemade masks are at spreading the COVID-19? Can you speak on that? Uh, I think Dr. Brennan uh, kind of addressed that a little bit earlier, um, and, and it's important to remember that those homemade masks, as Dr. Brennan said, can be made of various different materials, so it's really hard to determine the effectiveness of that, and it's also really important to understand that those masks are preventing uh, the user from spreading it, not necessarily protecting um, that individual from others that might be um, contagious. Thank you. Uh, one last question here. Uh, what is Johnson, Com Johnson County Public Health advising long-term care facilities in the area to do to prevent the further spread of this virus to patients and staff? That's a great question. And um, certainly, we've shared this before. There's several individuals, both from public health and emergency management uh, and, and a member of the Board of Supervisors that's on a daily call with long-term care facilities. So they're going through um, all of the needs of the facilities, reminding them of the guidance that Iowa Department of Public Health puts out specifically to long-term care facilities. So that's the same recommendations that we're making. Okay, I missed one more from Zach here. Although uh, the, a lot of restaurants are closed, but we still have carryout, is the county still conducting health inspections at our local restaurants? It's another great question. Uh, so uh, the Department of Inspections Appeals at the state level has recommended that all routine food inspections cease, um, but we are still doing inspections on complaints. Um, so, that, so that is continuing um, as, as on an as-needed basis. Okay, this question is from Sarah from the Daily Iowan. What happens if our region reaches a 10? Would that region go into a lockdown? Uh, that, again, would be the, determined by Iowa Department of Public Health consulting with the governor's office. And we have another follow-up question here from Kate Payne. Um, we've now seen confirmed cases at three different long-term care facilities uh, across the state. Are residents and staff at Johnson County facilities being proactively tested? Um, that's a great question, and the recommendations, again, um, come from Iowa Department of Public Health. If there are residents that are showing symptoms, that is, again, determined by healthcare providers, uh, whether those individuals are being tested. Uh, to my knowledge, there's not widespread testing on asymptomatic individuals, whether they're residents or staff. I know that they are um, doing everything that they can. They are certainly monitoring all staff coming in uh, to the facilities every day.
Okay. All right. All right. Thank you, everyone. Finally, we have uh, Dave Wilson, Director of Johnson County Emergency Management. Thanks, everyone. It's weird to do this as a Zoom meeting, but um, I'm going to try and cover the topics here. So uh, we continue to be on day 29 of our um, EOC operations. Um, with that, there's a lot of collaboration and coordination that goes on from uh, many partners, uh, state, local, federal, long-term care centers, uh, elected officials, you name it. They're all at the table and have been since, you know, Sunday night when we first had our announcement to Monday when Johnson County Public Health opened their instant command center and Tuesday uh, when we opened the EOC. Um, to that end, we, uh, as I stated before, were prepared for um, H1N1, Ebola, and several other things. So we had quite a cache of equipment on hands that we could push out early on and have done so, and thankfully so. Um, just to recap where we're at, on supplies today. Um, so stuff that emergency management had that was sourced locally because we have great support of our preparedness program, uh, 21,365 N95 masks, another 2,000 KN95 masks, um, over 100, uh, or I'm sorry, 55 gallons of hand sanitizer, 137, or I'm sorry, 1,037 uh, bottles of hand sanitizer, 19 PAPRs, positive air uh, pressure, uh, devices that uh, medical providers wear, um, Tyvek suits, gowns, um, ventilators. We've got 44 ventilators on hand right now. Uh, they've been uh, going through the biomed process uh, and divided amongst the three local hospitals. Um, we've got some that are getting finished tomorrow. Um, those are going to be done by Zoll and will be finished and distributed immediately following their biomed. Uh, we've got others that are um, at Mercy right now and other facilities. Uh, equipment provided by the state through the Strategic National Stockpile has been additional 3,600 um, procedure masks, um, 4,000 N95 masks, uh, 786 uh, gallons, 3,100 boxes of gloves, uh, and assorted other equipment. So had we not had the equipment we had on hand and just been waiting on that uh, state and federal supply train, we'd be in a much different predicament. Um, Johnson County was very well prepared going into this, and fortunately so. Um, we continue to get the same challenges that everybody in the world faces, which is those, the supply train. Um, so as equipment uh, starts running short and we have two-day shortages at facilities, they notify us of that. Um, if we have anything on hand, we get that pushed out right away. If not, we uh, put it in the pipeline to either procure locally, which has been the majority of our response, or um, the state and the feds try and help us out. I can reassure you that all the vents uh, that have been pushed out so far are not state or federal vents, they are local vents. There have been no 
state vents or federal vents, to my knowledge, as of reporting time yesterday, um, landed in Iowa for distribution. Um, so if there are any in Iowa, I'm certainly not aware of that, and we've not received any. Uh, but 44 is a pretty good number. Additionally, you have to remember that um, going along with that is the people operate those vents. So you can have all the vents in the world, but you have to have the trained, qualified providers to operate those. So the hospitals have made surge plans on how they can operate equipment and how they can surge up for different things. Um, I'd like to close uh, by making a couple comments. Um, number one is uh, this response couldn't have been so successful without partnerships. And those partnerships are everybody from the public sector, the private sector, and on. The three local hospitals, all the long-term care facilities, they've been on this call at 10 a.m. for long-term care centers since week one of this. Um, our focus early on was to try and keep uh, the staff healthy and the uh, germs out of the most vulnerable population, which we early identified was, you know, pretty easily transmitted into a uh, very vulnerable population. Um, are we going to have cases in care centers? I think everybody's going to have cases in care centers. We're no exception. We've done an outstanding job, in my opinion, keeping it out of there. And the, that is due to the staff of those long-term facilities. Uh, the staff at those facilities have been very engaged. They've been very proactive about keeping their staff healthy, uh, keeping those travelers that were traveled for whatever reason away, uh, monitoring their personnel. Uh, but occasionally things happen and people do get sick. Um, that doesn't mean that all those people are in the hospital. Um, quite the opposite. Most of those folks that uh, have been uh, diagnosed, have either been uh, cured for in-house or the ones that were uh, transported to um, hospitals have been cared for and a lot of those folks have been returned. So uh, I don't want to undersell what the long-term care centers have done for their um, residents. It is a Herculean event that they've uh, stepped up to the plate and done an admirable job for. Um, additionally, I'd like to recognize, you know, the elected officials that let us do our jobs and, and uh, support us. Um, you see Dave Coach with Public Health up here leading the operation and the uh, Public Health Board and, and his staff back home, the Emergency Management Commission, the elected officials that make that up, which are, you know, the mayors of every town, uh, the chair of the Board of Supervisors or, or their designee, and the sheriff. Um, that makes up my bosses and our commission. And those people have charged us and trusted us with doing the job. And without that support, we couldn't do our job. Um, there's a lot of folks in the background that I'd like to thank. Uh, you know, we've got a logistics section that is made up of people that we call upon in times of need that I've worked with on federal response systems when we were part of the National Disaster Medical System. They come up and they work tirelessly seven days a week, uh, nearly 24 hours a day, just like us. And it's everybody from the public works folks at the different departments throughout the county that babysit our equipment and move it around when I say, hey, we're going to do this, that, or the other operation to the public information officer who I'm looking at right now who works tirelessly and says, I don't know how I could live in your world. Um, those folks, uh, we appreciate you, and we appreciate all you do. Um, and again, the private partners, you know, whether it's Patty Fields and United Way that we call upon to do a million odd jobs that, uh, you know, I can't even envision they step up to a plate, or Josh over at Think Iowa City, um, they've just been incredible partners. Uh, Fairway has been one of the, uh, you know, little giants that stepped up to the plate. I mean, anytime I call Steve and those folks at Fairway, they are Johnny on the spot doing what they can to help us out. Sam's Club isn't even in Johnson County, and Sam's Club has sent us pallets of stuff. Um, people at home making masks 
uh, sending things in, people with shuttered businesses that send in personal protective equipment. That's all been incredible and appreciated. We've had more people step up to the plate, just like they do in every disaster in Johnson County than I ever thought of. We've made new partnerships. Uh, you know, the pharmacy groups are on our call every day, um, et cetera. So, I, you know, I'm sure there's people I'm missing, um, but I can tell you this is a Herculean event and everybody has stepped up to the plate to do their part. And I don't think that should go unnoticed. Um, with that, uh, I'll take any questions that have come across. Uh, thanks, Dave. Uh, we have a few questions here. Uh, one from Zach Smith with the Iowa City Press Citizen. We know the N95 masks are in high demand and the supply chain uh, countrywide has struggled to keep up. Yeah, is uh, the county involved in prioritizing the distribution of this equipment or is it purely based on individual institution supply chains? No. Quite the contrary. So uh, it's global. I won't even see it's local, national. It's global. So um, it's a global shortage and a global problem. A lot of this material is not made in the U.S. Um, or components thereof. And so had we not had personal protective equipment and, and caches of equipment, we had vents on hand. None of these vents that I talk about uh, came from some magic tree out back. They all came from a preparedness program that we had and that was robust. And they came from partnerships from other programs, et cetera. So we do prioritize that stuff. We triage it, and it's not changed. Uh, we've got three hospitals, the largest one in the state of Iowa, the level one, trauma and tertiary care at University of Iowa. Obviously, they've been, uh, you know, focus number one, Mercy Hospital, Iowa City. Um, VA generally has their own supply train, but there have been times where their supply train couldn't keep up at the VA, and we've helped them out with equipment. Long-term care centers because of their vulnerable population have always been like 2.1. Um, and then those cases are subdivided into long-term cares that have a case or that don't have a case. And we've always tried to make sure that anybody that says they're out today or they're going to be out tomorrow gets prioritization. Um, on down the list has been EMS transport services, um, fire departments and law enforcement that do first response or run the jails, uh, medical clinics that most of them are shuttered or or have reduced operations significantly, um, and then other jurisdictions that might have uh, vulnerable populations, the homeless community, et cetera. Um, so that triaging goes on routinely, and we utilize the same triage today as we utilized day one. Is Besides the uh, providing uh, resources to those places that are out, is there any other way you prioritize who gets resources when? Uh, obviously, if you're out and you're tier one as a hospital or a long-term care facility, then we prioritize you higher than, say, the jail. Hopefully that answers the question. Okay, this question is from Kate Payne with the Iowa Public Radio. Cedar Rapids officials are reportedly looking for more ways to strengthen social distancing efforts locally. Have there been further conversations between Johnson County and Iowa City, Corville, et cetera, about ways to strengthen those orders locally? Yeah, there's, that's a political and a policy level decision. Those elected officials, city managers, et cetera, routinely have those discussions. Sometimes we're involved in those. Sometimes we're not. Um, generally, they ask our opinion. Uh, everybody's trying to do the right thing, right? And I thought one of the interesting things I read yesterday was uh, from Google, so it's got to be true. Um, so Google had an interesting fact sheet out that showed the amount of people, and this is apparently by people that have their location turned on, so for the month of March, um, it showed Johnson County, and it's publicly available. I've just sent it. It's, it's on the Internet. 
Um, Johnson County for March had a decrease of 58% compared to the baseline of retail and recreation visitors, meaning people go into those locations. 24% decrease to baseline in transit, 36% decrease in baseline to workplace. Um, grocery stores and pharmacy decrease at 36%. So if any of the reporters want to look at that, um, I was sent it. Uh, I didn't research it. It was sent to me by one of my public health partners, uh, but it's on Google and it was interesting data. So I think people are taking it serious. Are there always clusters of people that don't? Um, you bet. Uh, are there discussions at both the local and the state level on how they can further reinforce that? Sure, you saw it yesterday with the governor's press conference where uh, she closed additional things. Um, and I think that's constantly ongoing. You know, I go back to people are trying to do the right thing, encourage people to socially distance. And you hear us harping about that all the time. Um, that's about all I got to say on that. Uh, we have another question here, Dave, from Travis Breeze with uh, KWWL. Um, he says, we are seeing a PPE shortage at local hospitals because supply chains are being affected during this virus. Or is it because, so his question is, is it because of the production of the materials or the uh, supply chain uh, equipment getting out there? So I think what I, I'm trying to track what Travis is asking, what I think he's asking is, is it because the material's not being made, manufactured? So am I right? So, so he also says, he goes, we know uh, everyone is who works in this field is essential. So is it, you know, the, the people there producing it are all essential employees. They're there Correct. making it, right? Correct. So w what is the weak link in that supply okay. chain? I think yeah, I the think I've got you now, Travis. So, so I think the weak link is just the volume. The sheer volume, um, manufacturing facilities can't ramp up quick enough. You know, we've we've fallen into this just in time, usually too late delivery model, where we don't have warehouses sitting full of equipment. Generally, um, those manufacturing places process and warehouse equipment based on what they determine is the routine need, and uh, I can guarantee you, none of these people were uh, running their business model based on a global pandemic. So I don't think it's because they don't have workers, and I don't think it's because they don't have raw materials. My understanding is it's because they can't keep up with the demand. Uh, you just can't keep up with the demand. And I think that's global, and that's not unique to people manufacturing PPE. It's no different than the face shield people. I mean, if you'd have told me 60 days ago that we'd been in the face shield business, I'd have looked at you like you had a third eye. Um, never in my wildest dreams did I figure we would be asking people with 3D printers to manufacture reusable, decontaminable face shields. And I guarantee you the people manufacturing them did not think they were going to be a hot commodity in the healthcare industry like they are right now. Has Travis got a 2.1? I said that was a good answer. Okay, all right. Try to make sure I understand it. Anybody else? So we're not seeing any other questions, but we're going to give it just a... Okay. About 30 seconds for the to cover the lag time on our live feed. Okay. And I know Dave Coach was asked about that um, demographic and all that. Uh, I'm not sure where that conflict information comes out because, you know, that was published on the website. It's dated March 24th. We don't know how they fill in the chart. I just want to be clear about that. We don't know how IDPH and the governor's office fills this in. But, um, you know, the narrative that it's, some secret document it's been out there since march 24th and you know i printed it off the website just like everybody else can there's the math but 
etc. So uh, I think what's true is we don't know how they assigned values to those categories, but it's not because anybody's being secretive about it. Again, it's been out there since March 24th. There's just such a flood of information, people don't, you know, it's an information flood. Okay, anything else, Kelly? All right, thanks, folks. So that concludes uh, our press conference for today. Uh, thank you again for those reporters for participating and for those streaming live and our community partners uh, with coming in through Zoom. Uh, as I mentioned, we did try to answer all of the questions that we received. Uh, if by chance we missed one, we will make sure to get it forwarded to the correct person. Um, and if there are, are any additional requests, uh, just go ahead and get them to us and we'll get you routed in the right direction. Thanks again, and we'll see you virtually soon. Mm -hmm.